Welcome to the WattPod, a journey into the world of the most exciting clean tech startups, powering the energy transition and our carbon-free future. We will learn about the journeys of these companies and their founders, their backgrounds, the hurdles they face, those they have overcome, as well as the breakthrough innovations they are delivering. We will also explore what investors and innovators are looking for as we head towards a cleaner, more distributed, more flexible energy system. What innovations and investments are required to ensure access to cheap, reliable, and responsible energy? Our guests bring a range of expertise and insights that will help us understand what developments are taking place. I look forward to our discussions with them and this journey with you. Please welcome Bill Lenahan, CEO of Zola Electric, to the WattPod. Zola Electric has its roots in providing clean energy access to Africa. It's an area close to my heart and something I've worked to deliver. But Zola has expanded and today is the leading technology company delivering energy access in 10 countries across three continents. Bill, welcome to the WattPod. Mitchell, thank you. And thank you to your audience for having me. Thank you so much for your time, Bill. Zola is addressing a unique challenge and one that's very, very important. How are you delivering energy access? You know, Zola was founded about 10 years ago in, in Arusha, Tanzania. And the mission uh, really from the very beginning was to drive energy access. And that's a, that's a problem that afflicts 2.2 billion people and hundreds of millions of businesses across the planet. A lot of, a lot of people think of energy access as a rural Africa problem, but it's much more than that. Um, it spans Africa, rural and urban uh, into Southeast Asia and, and, and wide areas of, of Latin America. And it's basically, um, you know, where any, anywhere unreliability, unaffordability of energy exists. Um, and because of that, these communities cannot achieve their full economic health, education, and, and environmental potential. We did start in rural Africa. We started in Arusha, Tanzania. Uh, and we began really the, this journey based upon a premise that a network of intelligent and distributed batteries uh, that are monitored and controlled by software was key to the solution. And today, I'm, I'm proud to say we electrify uh, over 1.5 million people and businesses across 10, 10 countries. We're still predominantly in Africa, but we've recently expanded into, uh, into Asia. It's really exciting, Bill, and, and such a great story, um, you know, and what's been achieved in the last 10 years. When you're talking about your expansion to, to Asia, maybe you can, you can walk through that and the similarities you might see between what you've learned in Africa and how that could be applied to other regions. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And just to be clear, um, you know, we define energy access as, as, as 2.2 billion people. A lot of people, like I said before, think about it as you may be thinking about it as a billion of people who live off the grid. But there's an equal number of businesses and, 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 and people that live on a grid, uh, just a very unreliable grid. And, and frankly, I don't draw a distinction between someone who has no grid access and someone who lives in, say, uh, Lagos, Nigeria, and the grid works three hours a day. Uh, effectively, there's no reliable form of an affordable form of energy in these markets, and they're, and they're the same. Um, you know, and I'll get to the, your point, your question on Asia in a second, but there's no really typical customer here. The challenges across Africa, Asia, and parts of Latin America are really common. It's, a, it's about cost. It's about unreliability. 
Um, it's, it has environmental challenges associated and it's really a quality of life. Um, and the key here is that the technology is flexible enough to address all of these customers. Um, and we can talk more about that technology, but it's about intelligent, intelligence, it's about modularity, and it's about integration. They're really, really important. But we basically build systems that are applicable for anywhere. Anywhere there's energy poverty, anywhere there's unreliability of energy, intermittency of energy, that could be rural, urban, you know, residential, commercial, it could be on-grid and off-grid. So it, it doesn't, in my opinion, it, it's not um, a geographic distinction. It's a, it's a challenge distinction. And, and the challenges that exist in Asia are the exact same challenges that exist in Africa and they're exact same challenges that exist in, in Latin America. Again, it's unaffordability, it's unreliability, it's intermittency of the power, it's the, um, the quality of the, of the power, and it's all the same. The questions tend to deviate between how much power do you need uh, here, but for the most part, the problems in Asia are very similar to the problems in Africa. And it's been a real advantage for us. You know, we cut our teeth in this market 10 years ago. We started in off-grid um, Tanzania in, in, in Arusha. We moved um, to Rwanda. We then moved to more urban settings as we're doing in Nigeria and Ivory Coast and parts of Ghana. And when you look across that, um, that customer base, the challenges that they're having are identical to the challenges that they're having in in, uh, in Pakistan or in uh, the Philippines or in Brazil. They're really, really similar. Again, maybe a distinction could be how much power do you really need? It's such an important point that you're, you're leaning on there. And one that I've actually learned in previous discussions with yourself, you know, I started out this journey uh, you know, a few years ago, thinking about people off grid, like you mentioned, you know, the, the 940 million, I think at last count of, of people that live off grid and don't actually have access to energy, but you're equally focused on, you know, wealthy people, be they in Bangkok or, or Lagos who live on grid, you know, live right next to transmission lines, but they want to watch the football game on a Saturday evening and they cannot rely upon the grid to actually deliver them access to power their television. Now they may have previously been able to, you know, have a, a backup diesel generator or something, but what you're saying is you have an alternative that provides clean, reliable and economic energy for their needs. Is that correct? Uh, that, that's right. And, and remember also, I mean, just take um, Legos. I mean, Legos could have, um, you know, last, last count, somewhere between 30 and could be 40 million people. And you have all of those customer segments, residential business, on-grid, off-grid, people who are just looking for um, modest levels of energy to light their home all the way up to very affluent people or businesses that need more productive use power. They live right next to each other. They all live in that city. So, you know, what is that? Is that, a, is that really an on-grid or an off-grid um, um, customer? It's kind of, it's, a, it's an energy access customer. And again, I think they're all very similar. They all very much have the same challenges. It's a it's a really good a good point. I think what I particularly like about solar is you know it, it's a profit driven company with purpose, full of purpose. A lot of NGOs may try and uh, address those issues, but you're really tapping into the needs of people, understanding the customer and, and the solutions that you can deliver 
to them as a commercial business, which which proves and validates the point that you know things can be done in many different ways. And throwing aid money at, at such problems as energy access isn't always the best solution. So you've talked a little bit about how Zola started in the early days of Zola. What about how how you got involved in this business? Yeah, it's uh, it was it was um, very much serendipity. Um, you know, I was introduced to the company by Lyndon Rive. Lyndon is the co-founder of a company in the U.S., Solar City. It's now owned by Tesla and kind of forms the core of Tesla Energy. Um, I had just come off my first operating role. Um, I had spent most of my career uh, in private equity. Uh, I had run uh, international for a clean tech company. And um, I loved it. I loved the business. I loved working in technology. I loved Silicon Valley. And I was um, looking for kind of my next role. And, and Lyndon, Lyndon's a buddy. We were out to dinner and uh, we were chatting. And uh, he mentioned that Zola was looking to bring on someone with, uh, with kind of finance and operations, uh, leadership and management experience. You know, it didn't seem... For me at the, at the time, uh, but I did agree to meet the uh, the founder CEO of the company, Xavier Helgeson. I met him. We had a great conversation, and I found myself um, uh, uh, helping him pull together a strategic plan. It was the first kind of formal strategic plan of the company. This is about six years ago, so this was maybe three years, four years, three years into the into the company at the time, and um, uh, I helped you know, kind of pull that strategic plan together for the company, presented to the board. I got a peek under the hood of the business. It was really interesting to me. I still, even after kind of doing diligence on the company, didn't think I was right for the business. I had never been to Africa. Um, I didn't know that the consumer uh, energy access was not a market I felt I had a lot of experience in. Um, and then I was encouraged by Lyndon and the board to go out to um, Tanzania and go see it on the ground. And that trip really sealed it for me. I, you know, at the time, I was, I was looking for an operating role that had some real impact. And as I thought about impact, I didn't think about it as we all think of impact now. I just, I wanted something big. I was okay with risk, but I wanted something that was solving a big problem. And, um, uh, and so, you know, I went out to Africa and um, first trip ever. Uh, I landed in, in Tanzania, and on my first day, I went out to visit a customer, and it's a it's a great story. I you know we 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 drive out, so I'm, it's me and it's five or six people. No one's senior at in, at, at Zola, just um, uh, the service team and the sales team, and we're going out to meet the first television customer of Zola. So Zola started by just powering three lights and a phone charger, and over time, we developed bigger systems to power more things. And this was one of our first television customers. So it was a bigger smart battery solar installation that powered things up to you know, televisions and uh, satellite decoders and things like that to get, keep people connected. So we go out to visit and um, the, we, we can't get there. So we, we have to stop the cars and we start walking. And, and one of the service technicians is, is finding this. You know, there's no addresses and there's no streets. And so we're trying to find this off-grid um, you know, farmer basically who, who um, um, through GPS. On the way, we start accumulating kids. In Africa, you know, kids are, they're just unbelievable there and super engaging. So, you know, these kids are like looking at us, like, what are we doing here? And they, we start accumulating kids. So by the time we get to this house, I, we got probably 30 kids plus the five of us. And we knock on the door and the mama uh, 
uh, in African vernacular, uh, answers the door and they're speaking Swahili. The service um, uh, manager is talking to her, saying, we're here from Zola. You're our first or one of our first television customers. You want to hear how the, 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 um, the, uh, the system is working. Well, she says, well, you took, took my system. And they said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, I, she said, I, I called you because it wasn't working properly. And you troubleshot it over the years. You said it was fixed. It wasn't. I called you again. And, um, and you sent someone out to fix it, but you took it. And um, so, you know, now we're just <clears throat> sitting there. There's no system in this home. And you know, everybody's kind of looking around, figuring out what to do. And uh, so the service technician pulls up on their, it wasn't an iPad, but it was a, it was a smartphone, you know, um, accessory and pulls up um, her, um, this person, her name, her GPS coordinates, her picture, uh, her system, and then her service history. And sure enough, she called, it, we didn't fix it, called again, and they, they, they uh, ticketed it wrongly. And instead of fixing it on site, they kind of took it. So then now they're looking at me and they're like, well, what do we do? And I said, I don't even work for the company at the time. And I'm like, I don't know, what do you typically do at this point? And they said, well, we can just install another uh, system. I said, all right, great. You know, let's, let's you know, tell her we're going to do that and we'll go. And they said, no, we can do it, you know, in the next whatever, hour, hour and a half. And I said, yeah, I'm thinking it took us like three hours to get here. Our car broke down. We have to walk. Yeah, how you, how's that possible? I said, well, we can do it. We have a distribution center close by. So I'm like, all right. So I'm sitting there and it's an experience I'll never forget. I'm sitting on this um, dirt floor in her house and I got all these kids around me and I'm teaching them how to play rock, rock paper, scissors. And then I hear this motor, you know, outside and I look outside and there's this guy and he's all dressed in black. He's got light rider, which our service technicians were called and branded at that point. He's got this big system on his back. He jumps off his bike. He jumps on the roof pounds in the, the solar panel, wires it to the battery, hooks up the television, lights and everything. Now at this point, it's like seven o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night and, and, um, and uh, it's dark. And he then lit it up. And I don't know if you've ever experienced like just in a, in a village, utter darkness to some level of light, you, you'll understand what I mean, but it was a incredibly compelling scene and I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I, my mind was spinning on all of this about, you know, how, um, one, the problem, you know, lack of light, how this changes the game for these communities, but also how the company was bringing this technology um, approach, technological approach to solving, you know, this problem here. And I just thought, you know, I, I, at this point, I had no idea if there was an economically viable model. And I felt that was really, really important. You needed sustainability in the business. But one, I knew it was a big problem, right? 2.2 billion people. Two, I, I felt there was something unique about their approach. And I just experienced it. Three, I did, again, I didn't know if there was an economic model, which in my mind, those are the three kind of needs to, to, to feel like you've got real ability to solve problems and sustainability in a business. I had no idea if there was an economic model, but I thought to myself, you know, if I'm true here, I'm okay with risk, but I want something impactful and something really interesting and complicated and intellectually stimulating. This was, I'm not sure I was going to find anything else that was, um, that was like this. And so I, uh, you know, I, I joined, um, I actually called my wife that night. Cause I said, I said, Hey, 
this is going to be hard. You know, this company is in 100 years, this, this world has not been able to solve energy access. And, and so there's a lot of risk that this may not be the right solution either. Um, probably isn't at that point, I was thinking. Um, but, uh, you know, real change, real impact. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and it's going to be hard because it's in Africa and I live in the Bay Area. Um, so, but she was cool with it and thought it was quite um, compelling, told me she'd be pretty proud if I did it. And uh, so I decided to, to do it. I joined as CFO and, and head of business operations. Um, at the time, we were, you know, uh, half of, you know, in half about rural Tanzania. And that's when we started to expand um, uh, the business. That's how I, that's how I joined. That's an amazing story, Bill. I, I mean, wow. That's um, one introduction to, you know, to the impact that a business like Zola can actually have on people's lives. There's, there's so many different aspects that you've touched on there that I, I really want to go in into, you know, the bit about um, the energy ladder, you know, and how Zola's actually helped to scale people from simple light bulbs and chargers to, uh, you know, full complete offering with with television and and the opportunity for people to be actually more connected to the world through the solutions that you're delivering. Um, you know, the bits about the technology, the questions you must have had around the economic rationale for the business, particularly when you've seen that firsthand, you know, to go install a system, you factor that into your cost to go back and service it, probably, I assume, free of charge to those customers until it's a point that it's working. Um, you know, you must have you had a lot of risk in in those sort of business models, particularly when you're dealing with um, with customers who may not have a huge uh, amount of money uh, to start with, and uh, are relying on on a system such as Solar. And then finally, as well, around the focus on the technology and moving away from um, you know from the the financing and and delivering of those systems. So why don't we jump into that last bit? You know, when you came into the business with a, with a, a lens as a, you know, financial expert, what changes you made to the, to the operations of the business, to the strategy and what, what came out of that work that you, um, that you started with Xavier? Um, that's a, that's a, a great, a great question. Um, and it was, I, you know, when I, before I took the job, I board um, really kind of two, two fundamental questions. One was, are you a nonprofit or a for-profit? And the second one was, why do you distribute and finance? Um, and, the, and the thinking on the latter was, and, and always was the case that this is a technology company, right? So you're building this platform, hardware, software, integrated platform, and that's your core competency. Why do you integrate and why do you finance it, which are very different, you know? So, and, you know, in my simplified view of all this and, and, and it weaves through this company, but also weaves through this industry, I, I, see, I see three different businesses that are required to solve energy access. There's a technology business, there's a integration slash distribution business, and there's a finance business. Okay. And we did everything in the very beginning. Um, so we uh, designed systems. We had them through a contract manufacturer assembled and manufactured. We, we imported them into, into countries. We connected with customers 
We sold systems, we installed those systems, we commissioned those systems, we serviced those systems, and we financed the customer. Um, we did that because we had to, because there was no one else in the industry that would do these things. Arusha, Tanzania, I mean, just at the time, 10 years ago, selling smart batteries, intelligent connected devices to rural farmers. I mean, there was no infrastructure to do any of that. Financing um, uh, of those customers. I mean, these customers had never walked into banks before. Um, so loan products to, to African farmers, no, you know, no one around to do that. But like I said, to solve the problem, you need all of it. You need the technology. To me, that's the core. That, that is the core reason why this problem hasn't been solved because the technology has been wrong. The second thing you need is someone to implement that technology, and you need to finance these because um, uh, no one in the world, for the most part, even Americans and Europeans, no one can afford to buy their energy all up front. Like a grid is built, a grid's financed, and then I pay on consumption. You're financing my usage. So um, to ask particularly emerging markets to buy all of their energy forward, like that's untenable. So financing is, is required. Now, doing all of those under the same umbrella is untenable in my position. But, but go, think about my question, like, why are you doing this? That was the answer. We're doing this not because we want to, but because we have to, to prove the market out we need this infrastructure um, here. No one else is going to do it, so we're going to do it until such time as we can prove we can bring others along, others who are better at this. Um, so, you know, said another way, we would rather focus on our technology and have specialists do the rest. Specialists on the ground who are already connected with customers to do the integration, and people who, um, you know, banks and financing companies who understand credit analytics and loan management and that sort of thing doing doing the, uh, the financing side of this. The pandemic really put a fine point on this um, and in a lot of ways accelerated our move towards the technology business model and away from the distribution and finance. But at one point in time, you know, um, pandemic hit, we're in five different countries and we've got distribution financing and, um, and technology operations across all of them. We, we had somewhere around 1,500 to 2,000 people that were all stranded at one point. They couldn't even leave their home. They couldn't connect with customers. And this is in America. So no one had cloud-based software architecture to sell online and install with robots. Like, like that didn't happen. So um, we also didn't, we were also unable to influence governments. We're a small company. So um, that, was a, that was a real push for us. It was always a strategy to bring in others to finance, to bring in others to integrate, but that really accelerated it. So we ended up selling our distribution and finance operations in West Africa to EDF. EDF is one of the largest utilities in the world. They're a great integrator. Um, they're a great financing. A lot of utilities, that's kind of their core competency is financing. So they're, they're, they're great for that, better than Zola could ever be. We sell our technology, they integrate it and they finance, they finance it. We still have distribution businesses in East Africa. That was where we started in Tanzania. That's actually a relatively scaled operation, but that's the only one that we, we, we currently have. So we've really, I, I'd say this has been a strategy over the last, well, it's always been a strategy, but we couldn't outsource it, so to speak, until there were others that believed in the industry and would start to build infrastructure. 
So that's what's happened over the last three years is we've sort of focused our resourcing on technology, which we think we're good at. And we've kind of let others do the, the integration, the finance side. Really clear. I mean, I've seen from personal experience the difficulties working in certain countries, be that because of things such as FX risk, obviously you can't hedge some of those, those products or, or legislation, legislative changes in those markets as well. And, and to think about fo focusing on both the technology and what you've mentioned, the integration in those markets, I mean, that's a, that, that's a huge role to play. When you're talking about integrators, could you maybe give us a bit of a definition of, of what you mean by that term? Yeah, and I'll, you know, I, I, a lot of people think of them as distributors, but I'll, I'll, I'll draw a distinction. But basically, what we're, when we think about our partners on the ground, we think of them as, as integrators. And these are companies that um, have a presence um, or have a brand or are building a brand. Um, one of uh, customer, you know, being customer centric. They are connected to the energy access market. So they're already working with or are developing capability to work with people who need, uh, who lack reliable energy and need reliable energy, people and businesses, and have the capability to connect with them, understand the problem, solve their problem, um, integrate those products into people's homes and businesses or communities, and then, and then service them. Um, so they're almost the utilities of the future in that, in that, in that way. Um, but that's what I mean by integrators. So what I don't mean is a distributor. Um, I don't mean someone who just takes, you know, use diesel generation as an example. They take a diesel generator, they import it, they buy it from whoever, GE. They import it, they throw it into somebody's home, hook it up, and they're done. That, that's not... Um, and it, and, it, and it connects to, the reason why that's important that integrator is different is it connects to our premise around the view that it's networks are going to solve energy access, not products. Um, but that's what I mean when I say uh, an integrator, someone who has that sales installation, commissioning and service capability and finance capability, companies that are out there that can, can connect with banks be the intermediary to provide financing to the customers. So they're much broader than distributors. They're, you know, as we call them integrators. And just while we're on that, you know, while we're talking about networks, while we're talking about banks, et cetera, I think the important comparison to make here as well, the one you'll be very familiar with because people in that industry I've heard talk about a lot, um, but just for the audience as well is, you know, the similarities to the growth of, of telecoms and the, the fact that, Africa in particular skipped the whole centralized um, telephone network with you know phone lines crisscrossing the the continent. People have grown with um, you know mobile banking have grown with with smartphones, whereas previously they they never had a landline, for example. And I think you you know whilst you're focused on both on grid on off grid, there's real similarities there in that space with the sort of solutions you're providing, which, providing which is you know really high tech solutions for customers that have traditionally had very high levels of difficulty accessing electricity. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, those are good um, analogies. And, and you know, our, our view is, um, you know, the grid's had a hundred years to, to solve this problem and uh, it, it hasn't been able to. And there's some real structural reasons why the grid won't solve the problem in, in, in emerging markets 
and why we'll ultimately, even in on-grid, because again, you know, I, four hours of energy a day isn't, isn't, isn't primary power. Four hours of energy a day is not reliable power. It's not a, it's not a, a clean, reliable power source. Bill, we've talked a lot about uh, East Africa, obviously you're present in other countries as well, but it's such a good example of the ability for regions to increase energy access. You know, some of the countries in East Africa, we've talked about Tanzania, Kenya is another great example, have gone from, you know, very low double digit energy access as a percentage of population, not quite complete, but you're talking 75% plus. What what's made those sort of areas quite um, quite good grounds for actually uh, increasing energy access? What does all is seeing on on the grounds, and you know what can be learned from areas that are improving energy access, such as East Africa, that can be applied in other markets that that may not be doing it so quickly. Well, first of all, I, I don't know any energy access market that's up to seventy five percent penetration, and what you might be how you might be defining it as just some form of energy. Uh, you know, so I, I would argue that um, even, even base, you know, solar home systems that can power a light um, or a radio phone charger, even a television, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that if you would, if you sold that system, you can now eliminate that person from the energy access space. And I'm saying that because I still don't believe that a lot of the, you know, say for example, torches that get sold in the in the markets, they're basically flashlights, solar, solar flashlights. Like, is that primary power? Is that, you know, integrated? Um, is it modular and can scale? Can it power anything a, a homeowner would need or a business would need? No. But it still may be defined as energy access. So I, you know, I, I believe, you know, Zola and um, are the other great players that are trying to solve this problem, I think we're still, even in markets like Kenya, are very, very, very low um, on, on, the, on, the, on the penetration side. And, and I say that because I define energy access as primary power. Okay, so, and, and maybe it's, it's worth kind of walking through this because this is really key to, um, to our business thesis and our technology thesis. Um, the, 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 the backdrop of distributed energy is born out of the lack of a reliable grid. Like that's, that's basically, and this is across the globe, okay? You know, our view is, across the globe, but particularly in energy access markets, emerging markets, that distributed energy is going to play a significant role in solving energy inequality, driving energy access to these markets. The, like I said before, the grid's been trying to solve it for 100 years, and it's been unsuccessful. Um, we also believe that the role of, of distributed energy, the technology, is different in emerging markets than it is in developed markets. Now, what, why is that? Well, Developed markets, they, they, they have a grid, okay? Um, and rooftop solar, batteries, generators, the pain point is primarily one of cost and intermittency. That's what they're addressing. So I look to put solar panels on my roof to drive down, you know, from 12 cents a kilowatt hour to whatever that solar panel can provide to me. Um, and I look for a battery to get, or a generator to gap 
downtime on the grid. I'm looking for like marginal improvement from grid performance. And it really is marginal. The grids in our, you know, even though they're starting to fail, and I think they're going to get worse over time across the globe, right now they're pretty good. They're pretty inexpensive and they're very reliable. Um, so it's today a pretty good primary power system. It's low cost, it's high reliability, it's getting smarter, it's performing other functions, but the solution is one of backup. It's a complement to the grid, okay? Emerging markets is totally different. You've got a very different energy backdrop. You're completely off-grid. Uh, uh, you're either completely off-grid and you get your power through kerosene or diesel generators or inverters or you know whatever, or, or you live on a weak grid, okay, which is highly unreliable and you, and you live in a world of backup systems that those customers that we've talked about in Lagos, on-grid customers have a diesel generator. They have an inverter system. They literally just have this Frankenstein system of backup. And by the way, the grid is just backup. The grid backs up the inverter, which backs up the diesel generator. There's no primary power. There's no integration. There's no scalability and there's no intelligence. There's, there's really no grid. So what you get there is it just, you have high costs, you have high unreliability, super painful of a life and there's no centralized controls and management. So our view is kind of full circle is, the, is distributed energy in emerging markets needs to provide primary power, not backup, okay? So it needs to be integrated, any energy source, any load it can manage, okay? It needs to be modular, it needs to be intelligent, and intelligent in a way that provides full visibility, full data controls of that, of, that, of that system, and optimization and machine learning so it can get better uh, over time. Um, energy access markets don't need another developed market backup system, and and you know, Tesla is one of our largest shareholders. Their power walls are great, but they're built for developed markets. They're built for backup. They're not built for primary power. Another one of our technology partners, Enphase, same thing. They got great technology for developed markets, but it's not built for emerging, um, emerging markets in our view, okay? So that's, that's how I define energy access. I define energy access as having primary, a primary power capability, all right? Um, that that's how we we think about it. It's such an important distinction, Bill. I'm really glad that you raised that. Actually, so the the 75% I refer to is any form of electricity access, but that's measured on five different tiers. With tier zero being no energy access. So these stats. An important thing to clarify is anyone from tier one to five, which means any form of electricity. Which, like you say, is 90% of the time, probably not a primary power source. You know, it may be a small panel with a flashlight connected to it that could be powered, you know, a battery powered flashlight with, with some form of recharging. And what you're talking about is far more ambitious. You know, you're talking about actually providing a, a primary source of energy that allows you to have, you know, well more than, than a couple of hours of, of, of um, use of, of a torch, right? Yeah, well... And also, so correct. So, but also future proofing it. A torch can only do so much. If I need more power, I got to buy more power. So it's, it's not primary power. A grid is primary power. It gives you, um, it's integrated, right? The grid itself has all these different forms of energy production that are all feed into the, into the grid and it controls all the, all the loads. It's, it's, um, it's scalable. I plug it into the wall. If 
I draw more power, I get more power. And it's, and it's somewhat intelligent. So a torch is not integrated, it's not modular, and it's not intelligent, but neither is a diesel generator for that matter, which I think in your probably tiers of one to five, a diesel generator would mean that you have energy. I don't know, I don't think you have energy actually if you run a diesel generator 24 hours a day to provide your, your energy source. Um, so I, I think it's, it's really, um, I'm defining energy access as, as be, basically being, you know, um, grid-like, uh, Western grid-like, having that capability in those, in those countries. And that's what we're trying to build towards. Really clear. And, um, and uh, you know, such an important point to make as well. What you've mentioned a couple of times in regards to the relationship with, um, you know, with, with Tesla, with founders of, uh, you know, companies that are involved with Tesla as well. How has that been important to your focus on technology and the solutions that you're able to deliver? You know, what, what have you been able to leverage through that relationship? On the, uh, just all of our strategic partners, or are you referring just to, to our technology partners? I think let's focus on the technology partners and then we can come back to the other partners such as the integrators, et cetera. Um, well, they've been, you know, Tesla in particular has been, uh, and it was Solar City initially, um, uh, has been uh, great you know, for us. Um, we also are partnered with a company, a local partner a company here called Enphase, uh, which um, provides us with some technology support. And um, you know, I, I think that those two companies, Solar City prior to Tesla, then Tesla and Enphase, they've helped us in a in a, a variety of different ways. You know, Solar City was the largest um, distributed solar company in the world um, at one point before they sold to uh, before they sold to Tesla. So just the um, the technology that's on the horizon to support that, understanding where that's going was, was helpful to us. And also just the business building um, element of it. Uh, you know, Solar, uh, Solar City and now Tesla, I mean, they're, they're a big integrator in, in, in a lot of ways. So, and, and for the first five years of our existence, six years of our existence, actually eight years of our existence, that building integration was really, really important to us. Um, you know, and Tesla and Enphase, and Tesla has been helpful to us recently. There's, you know, supply chain is really difficult right now, particularly uh, anything uh, integrated circuit, ASIC oriented. And we're a tiny little company. And, and I don't know if you're, if you've watched how Tesla has been able to kind of maneuver in this world where electronics coming out of Asia are in short supply, but they've probably done it better than any company in the, uh, in the world. And they're also a lot bigger and have more influence um, over suppliers than we do. So we've really leveraged that to be able to the best of our abilities continue to supply our, you know, our customers. So, you know, I'd say that our technology partnerships tend to be component or spot oriented. Uh, you know, what we've built here wasn't, hasn't been built before. This concept of having a smart battery that is fully integrated, fully modular and intelligent and controllable that's pretty new. Um, you know, people talk a lot about smart batteries, but smart batteries, like I said before, in developed markets really are backup systems. That grid goes down, my system goes on. Now more and more they're doing maybe some level of, of um, load shedding and, and, and things of that nature, but 
but for the most part, they're backup systems. So they're really, they're, they're quasi-intelligent. We had to build the grid with our systems. So they're, you know, they're, it's a different beast altogether. So we've leveraged Tesla and Faze and others on component level while we've stayed true to our, you know, designing of the overall solution. That's a, it's great. I mean, you know, in terms of the support that, that the company's got Zola and whether that's, you, you know, you're looking at the, the investors that are on board or your commercial partners, you've, you've mentioned EDF as well. Um, it's a bit of a who's who list, you know, you've got, you've got Tesla and some, some, some great other investors as well. What about, um, uh, we've talked about integrators. What about other, other agencies that you might work with? Um, for example, USA at FMO or in terms of actual um, people that invest in the company, such as VCs. So I think, um, DBL is actually one of your, your investors as well. You know, we, we've just been, um, you know, it, it is a clear, in my opinion, core competency to this company. Um, and we would not be where we are without what I believe to be the best partners in the industry. They're all mission driven. Uh, almost all of them are investors in the company. So we talked about the technology side, how that's been helpful. There's the commercial side here, um, you know, Total, EDF, uh, DPA um, are our partners on the ground. So we work with Total in Nigeria and they are an integrator on the ground in Nigeria uh, selling our technology. EDF is, is one of our biggest customers servicing West Africa, predominantly Ivory Coast, DPA, uh, Distributed Power Africa, <clears throat> which is a division of Econet, operates in eight countries uh, kind of or more in the southern parts of Africa, South Africa, all the way up through Eastern Africa, and uh, there are, you know, there are on the ground integrator partnerships, um, agencies. You mentioned USAID and, and FMO. You know, this is an industry that is highly impact oriented, and um, thankfully for us, uh, you know, we had some great strong partners in the U.S. government, the Dutch government, the British government that have seen what we're doing and seen what our industry is doing and want to support us from a capital perspective. Uh, and then you mentioned, yeah, the venture capitalists, um, uh, DBL, Vulcan, uh, uh, we just welcomed um, Electron Capital, which is one of the largest hedge funds in, in, in the energy-oriented hedge funds in the, in the world. And they're a long-term investor in, in some of our other partners. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, um, you know, this, this group helps us in all these different areas, technology, commercial, finance, how do we build this business? And they bring credibility to us. Uh, and that's really, that's so important because, you know, when, 10 years ago, we were talking about what we're trying to do in Africa. We had no credibility. I mean, people were just like, you're putting smart batteries into farmers in Africa's home and who, who burn kerosene today, and, and they got to pay it back to you and you're giving them loans. And, you're giving them an onboard computer, which is effectively what the, what the battery has associated with it and makes no sense. And so we didn't have credibility. Well, you know, over time, if we, as we've proven the technology, we've been able to track these partners that not only help us build the business, but they bring a ton of credibility um, uh, to us. And it's something that we need and it's something that the industry needs. I just want to touch on one of those as well. You know, we've talked about <coughs> EDF, which I think most listeners will be familiar with 
um, VCs, uh, Vulcan, DBL, et cetera, the agencies, so FMO, USAID, and a number of other partners that you've mentioned. DPAs, I think, a really interesting one. Um, how, how you know, who are DPA? Maybe you can start with Econet. And what's their expertise, their local expertise that's really helping you to, you know, to roll out your products into more markets? So DPA is a let's they're they're sort they're a they're a pioneer in the integrator side of this business. Remember, we talked about three, you know, kind of cornerstones to to um, or linchpin to the industry. There's the technology, the integration, the finance, and DPA, uh, Distributed Power Africa, uh, is is a an, an an early mover on that on the integrator side. And you can think about DPA uh, for your American um, uh, audience, at, like a Solar City, like a Sunrun, like a Tesla Energy. They are connecting with customers, understanding what their energy pain points are, and solving the problem uh, through installation, commissioning, and service of those of those systems. They operate in the residential market. They provide reliable energy to homes. They do it. They're a distributed technology company, but or integrator company, but residential, they do commercial, they do on-grid, they do off-grid, and they very, I think, early on became believers that when you sort of look across, like let's say 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you look across the energy access landscape, it's going to be dotted with these distributed energy uh, networked uh, technologies. So if you look across 20 years from now, Legos, it might still have this grid that works intermittently, but the the a lot of the building up on top of the grid are be, will be distributed. So that's what they do. They're a division of Econet, which is one of the largest telecom companies um, in the in the in Africa, and um, you know they're really leveraging that. I mean, what what did Econet do? Like a lot of the pioneers, Orange and others in, in telecommunications in, in Africa, they built the telecommunication um, architecture and infrastructure in, on the continent. So they're looking at distributed power, much like you referenced telecom earlier and saying, hey, it's a need. This is the way the world's going to go. And we can do this. We've built this before. We've done these things before. And oh, by the way, a lot of our architecture requires reliable energy. Think of tower sites. Uh, they, they, they absolutely require um, to reduce downtime on those, on those towers. So um, uh, yeah, early mover uh, in it. Great company. Strive the Founder CEO of, of Econet is um, is a you know they're a, a long term relationship with Tesla and 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 Solar City and Lyndon Rive Pete Rive and he was one of the first to jump aboard um, Zola and and, and uh, call himself a believer in our technology. Yeah, amazing the the partnerships that you've been able to form and support that you've been able to get through those as well. But we've we've come to. Um, to the point where we need to actually start wrapping up. I mean, I could keep on asking you questions all day. I, I find this area so exciting and the impacts that, that Zola's having. We have a, um, a our WhatsApp section, which I asked three quick questions with single sentence responses. Okay, um, just before okay. I, I do that, I, I wanted to ask you, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we do jump into that? You know, is there anything that, that people out there who may find your story, uh, really intriguing might look to do to get involved in this space or uh you know it's some way that you can point them towards well we yeah i think we we didn't spend a lot of time on the social impact side of of our industry 
in what we're what we're doing. Um, you know, it, it 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 really attracted me to it the the depth of the impact here, and um, you know, uh, of course, and I only speak for Zola, but there are many others in our industry that are looking to to do the same thing and and add to that uh, depth. But you know, when you look at the fact that we've energized um, over a million five people, almost 400,000 systems across Africa. And it's just kind of a drop in the bucket, but it's um, the impact it's had on those people, um, you know, the environmental impact. And we've taken, you know, we've in installed 21 clean megawatts of power. We've reduced millions and hundreds of millions of liters of kerosene. We're about to attack diesel with some new technology the economic impact it has, and we alone, we've had 22,000 businesses started off the backs of, of our product. Um, you know, something like 44% of our, of our uh, customers um, here have said now they can work longer because the lights are on and, and, uh, and drive economics for their family. Over 90% people feel safe. There's been a massive reduction in indoor pollution, which uh, interestingly impacts women and, and girls more because they tend to be at the forefront in these countries of getting these fossil fuels in and be in their home during the day. Um, education in terms of studying into the night, the number of schools that we've outfitted with reliable energy. So, I mean, maybe that's the other point I want to, I want to make that's, you know, we've got hundreds of employees and I like to think that the reason why everybody wakes up on Monday morning ready to go is because of the impact that the company is having on uh, on the world and, and, and particularly on these communities. We like to be more, you know, community than global focused. And, and these are communities that um, that that need the help and and uh, and we're really proud to deliver it. Yeah, that social impact. I mean, I, I think that that's intertwined with the conversation that we've been having. I hope it is really clear to people that, you know, you are providing more than energy access. There are a whole other a range of impacts that actually follow on from um, from the work that Zola is doing. So I'll, I'll jump straight into to what's up, Bill. Just a caveat on the first question here. We've already talked about Zola and on this question, uh, sorry, about Tesla and, and, and your partnership with them. So may I ask that you please don't respond with that company to this first question. Name one company you think is powering the energy transition and what you admire about them. Yeah, I, I'd be offensive to some people if I, if I just named one. <laughs> but the, the first name that, that jumps to mind is, uh, is Enphase. I think they were one of the first companies in the world to acknowledge that networks or solutions will solve the problem, not components or products. So Enphase is a micro um, inverter company. They're, they're the, I don't know, they're the, they're the dominant micro inverter company. Micro inverters are basically just distributed uh, inverters. Um, and in that technology, these inverters need to talk to each other and be able to be connected and work together. And in this notion and uh, idea that networks are going to solve the problem, it's not a, not a bespoke solution, meaning I just drop something into someone's home or business and it's done, but I need these to be networked in some way, either physically connected to drive optimization or, or uh, wirelessly digitally connected so I can control and report um, they were early on in, in this, um, uh, this, this idea. 
and uh, it really resonates. It's the core of our strategy, and you know they are um, they are one of the one of the first to to think about this more on a, on a developed market basis, but but still this network concept. So I just really and hold true to it. Um, you know, there was a, a period where they ran into some really severe difficulties, and people questioned the approach. Um, you know, they they had some real financial problems five, six, seven years ago. They've now proven their technology has got some um, some real legs to it and differentiation to it, and they've stayed true to it, and and they're benefiting from it today. I also like the management team and the team there. There, it's a good organization. Fantastic, thanks, Bill. Second question is who stands to gain the most from the energy transition? Um, the, the, the people of the world. The, the know, reason I, I ask this is because the impact, you know, this is a question I've chosen because you're having such a, a different impact to some other people that we've had on this podcast. So yeah, maybe you could elaborate a little bit more around, around the people of the world. Yeah, I don't think about it as a, as a, as what what company is going to benefit or you know fuel source or, or what have you. I just when I think of energy transition, you can think about it in a lot of different ways. It's the move from um, you know fossil fuels to 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 sustainable um, clean energy. There's the move from centralized to decentralized and all the benefits that are associated with that, and then. You know, I, our, our role in energy and the energy transition is energy access. Again, a third of the world does not have reliable energy. That's a tragedy. That's so that, that, that it's, it's, and it's not even an energy transition in these markets. It's, it's new, it's a new infrastructure. It's, it's a blank sheet of paper, but it is a, you can couple it into energy transition. Well, who benefits from all those things? Who benefits from clean energy? Who benefits from um, uh, resilient distributed energy. Who benefits from uh, um, driving energy access? Well, the 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 globe does. The the, the world does yeah. more than any individual company or stakeholder. Absolutely, I, I love that response. Thanks, Bill. And just final one. We will try and keep this to one sentence. The last one. If you weren't powering the energy transition, what would you be doing? Oh, if I wasn't powering the energy transition, I would hope. Uh, that I was doing, um, I was, I, I'd still be working in, in technology. I, I really, I really um, love this, you know, industry. So I would be in, involved in, in that in some ways. Um, and I would hope that I was doing something as impactful as what we're trying to accomplish at Zola and, uh, and within our, within our industry. I probably also would try to find something where I can spend a little more time with my family. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a rough job. It's a rough industry, um, rough in the sense that it's just really hard. This is a, um, this is a hard problem. And, you know, if it were simple, then 2.2 billion people would, uh, would have reliable energy. <laughs> so it results in everybody having to work pretty hard and, and that does uh, does take time away from my family. So maybe I would be doing similar things in technology, impact oriented, and something that allowed me to spend a little more time with my with my kids and my wife. Fantastic, Bill. You've been such a great guest, and and the impact that Zola is having on the world is you know cannot be understated. Um, I just want to thank you once again for for joining us on on the What Pod. 
Oh, thanks, Mitchell. This is great. I really, really appreciate it. And thanks for helping us get the word out. Pleasure. Bill Lenahan, CEO of Zola Electric. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave a comment on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Spotify, or Google.